Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Did somebody say free bird? I think they did. <clears throat> Listen, uh, welcome to you, Facebook uh, Live. Welcome online. If you're watching just the sermon online, you got to go back. Back the truck up and listen to Bon Jovi. We just covered it. And, and I'll, I'll explain why as we go along the way, okay? Here's the deal. Everybody loves Jesus, right? I mean, you know, you, you go, that's not like... A hard question. Let's try that again. Everybody loves Jesus, right? Okay. Yep. But, but really, what, what I mean is like, you don't even have a conversation with anybody out there in the world that doesn't love Jesus. I don't, I, I've never, ever had a conversation. Oh yeah, that Jesus guy. Yeah, I can't stand him. You know, healing people and loving people and you know, caring for the outcast and dying a horrible death because he believed that he could save our souls. What a jerk. You never hear that, right? Because I haven't ever heard it. Even if they don't believe the story at all, you can't not like Jesus. That's why I love this statue of Jesus, you know, come on. Way cool. He was way cool. That's right. Even if you're a kid and you grow up with atheist parents, you're like, okay, Jesus is born. I get presents. Jesus dies, I get candy. Go Jesus. Everybody, everybody lo loves Jesus. I mean, that's what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, some people are a little too eager to find Jesus. Like this guy found him in his frying pan. And you got to admit, that is a little spooky. Then there's the Kit Kat Jesus. <laughs> there's Tortilla Jesus. I think he looks more like Sammy Hagar. There's, uh, there's Jesus on the banana. There, there, there's Jesus on the fried chicken. That's a stretch. But this is my all-time favorite, Jesus on the Cheeto. He's even praying. We call him, wait for it, Jesus. Thank you very much. So, so what's the problem? What the problem is, is we give love a bad name. The problem is, is, that's why we did the Bon Jovi song. The problem is a lot of people love Jesus. They just don't want to follow him and they're not interested in him. And why, why is that? It's because they don't, they're not getting Jesus represented to them well. That's, that's my premise, okay? Fastest growing religious group in the country are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S's. I don't believe in anything. Why is that? I mean, I like that the world sees Jesus as their buddy because he is. He died for them. But for a few weeks, what I'd like to think about, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be preaching uh, on the, about the side of Jesus that should make the church pause and pay attention. The ticked off side of Jesus. Okay? Really? Jesus got angry? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, anger is not a sin. Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. Okay? So please pay attention to that. Um, you can't help but be angry. And Jesus was angry. And this kind of all came back, this book project all kind of started from, uh, you know, the magnet on the refrigerator that says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You guys heard that, right? Probably got that hanging up somewhere. Meaning, if, if the person in charge is not happy, we should pay attention. And I think we should make one for the church that says, if Jesus ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. What makes Jesus unhappy? I mean, Jesus, this Jesus, this, you know, Jesus that everybody loves, he made a whip and he went into the temple and he drove out the money changers and he overturned tables. This Jesus told people it would be better for you to have a rope tied around your neck and attached to a two-ton rock and thrown into the sea 
This Jesus called people names, brood of vipers, your unmarked graves, you are sons of hell. Let me say up front, just so that you know where I stand, I've studied Jesus, I have a doctorate in religion, I get this. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. I think the world's idea that Jesus was nice is right and loving. That's who he was. But what do you do with you snakes, you brood of vipers? How will you escape being condemned to hell? And I think he said it that way. How do you escape from being condemned to hell? This is Jesus. If somebody tweeted that today, like let's just say a, a political figure or something, you know, that would be a little bit inflammatory. The media team would be freaking out if he said something like that, right? But this is Jesus. And sometimes Jesus' words were sharp and biting. Many of the things Jesus said were either a direct condemnation of someone's attitude or their behavior, or a story told to condemn that attitude, right? To illustrate that condemnation. Jesus was angry. But I like praying to the baby Jesus. When it's your turn, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want. No Ricky Bobby fans? Come on. No, no, you can't, Ricky Bobby. You can't pray to the baby Jesus. You can't pray to the Jesus that you understand. We need to pray to the real Jesus. And he grew up and he got mad. And when the Son of God gets mad, when Jesus ain't happy, we should pay attention. Because I believe we learn more about a person from the things they don't like than the things they do like. Right? You, you, you learned that as a kid. You figured out what your parents didn't like. I, I remember calling my dad a name one time. And then I never did it ever again. <laughs> right? I mean, to this day, I can't tell you his favorite television show or his favorite breakfast cereal, but I know one name he does not like to be called. <laughs> Note to self, right? I figured it out. What I'm saying is, don't try to pass over the red, red letters in your Bible. The red letters are the letters of Jesus, and sometimes they're red because he's angry. Who was he mad at? Well, that's the kicker. He was mad at the people on the inside who were giving love a bad name. I always knew that, you know, I mean, I always knew Jesus was mad at the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law. And I didn't like them because they seemed so Pharisaical. Do you realize that we've made a derogatory adjective out of their name? This is how much we don't like Pharisees. Oh, you're so Pharisaical. What does that mean? You know, pretentious, self-righteous, right? How would you like it if they took your identity and made it into a derogatory adjective? You are so cat loverish. <laughs> I think that one works. You may not. <laughs> they're so Pharisaical. And I always thought, you know, I, I, they, they're, they're terrible people. They killed Jesus. Of course, he's mad at them. And then one day I realized, well, hang on a second. If I back up from what I've already, always understood Scripture to be, as all, all my preconceived ideas, and just take another look at it, really, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law were the church leaders of their day. And Jesus was a part of that church. 
As a matter of fact, this was the church that God set up. This was the way church was set up by God to be done. That's what they were doing. Check this. They were the people appointed by God for the purpose of enacting God's system of religion. They weren't from some radical cult, right? These are God's appointed church leaders of which Jesus was a part. When that hit me like a ton of bricks, I started to go, okay, I wonder if there's anything... Maybe I will turn this back on me. I wonder if there's anything that caused Jesus to be mad at his church back in the day that might be my issue as a current church leader. And that's why I wrote the book on the subject, which we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. Um, what made Jesus mad? I, I discovered four basic attitudes that usually came back around um, that were the problem. And, and as I say them, you're going to go, oh, yeah, we still have that problem, don't we? Legalism, he was mad at. Judgmentalism hypocrisy, and indifference to suffering. Those were the four things that flipped a switch. Right, okay, and we still have problems with those things today, don't we? Yeah, we do. And the bigger aha moment for me was when I realized why those bad attitudes made Jesus angry. In every scriptural instance where Jesus expressed anger through speaking bad names to people or saying woe to somebody or actually it says he got angry, the rawest of emotions, the match that lit his fuse was when we give love a bad name. Through legalism, hypocrisy, judgmentalism, or indifference to need. When our religious attitudes get in the way of God's love. And again, I'd always looked at it and always thought, yeah, I hate those religious phonies, those arrogant judges, those unjust legalists, those, those hypocrites. I hate those people. And then I stopped and I went, you know what? I think sometimes the gravitational pull just takes us that way. And I realized that as I'm pointing a finger at them, right, there's three fingers pointing back at me. And that's why I wrote the book. And the real tragedy about this propensity that we have to drift from God's heart is what it does to those on the outside. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're listening to me. You're on the outside and you've been led to believe that Jesus is angry with you. Nah, never happened. Jesus was never mad at the sinners or the tax collectors even or the prostitutes. He wasn't mad at anybody on the outside. He wasn't mad on anybody at anybody that was a, lived a normal life. He was only mad at the people on the inside who were blocking the way. So if you're one of those people, um, I'm sorry. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is not mad at you. And we're sorry for the times we get in the way. All Jesus ever wanted was for you to be reconciled to your father who loves you. In the movie Gladiator, central character Maximus said this line. I think it's just so important. He said, Caesar once had a vision of what was supposed to be Rome, and this is not it. Now, this is the part of the movie where, you know, he's a slave and all, all the bad stuff is going on and, and it's time to rise up and, and do the revolution. Caesar had a vision of what Rome was supposed to be and this is not it. I believe Jesus had a vision for what the church was supposed to be and this is not it. What the people, on the, what the people are leaving, religion that they're leaving, the Christianity that they're leaving that they don't want to be a part of, that's not what Jesus wanted. And that's why I'm willing to go full gladiator to reclaim what the church was supposed to be. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, I want you to be praying for me because I, I don't know if anybody but my mom's going to read this book, but here's what's going to happen. The people on the outside of the kingdom 
are going to love this book. And that's what I want. The people who have been hurt by religion or on the outside, they're going to love when they start understanding that Jesus was mad at those on the inside that were trying to block them. The problem is the people on the inside, some of them are not going to like this book. I'm going to get emails, okay? So, so I just want you to pray about what God does with this because I'm, I'm willing to do it, okay? This is why we covered You Give Love a Bad Name, okay? We're really sorry that this has gone on and we're going to stop it. And what I'm saying is if you or your friends have had a hard time following Jesus and therefore having a relationship with your Father in heaven because the followers of Jesus have been badly representing him, we're going to change it. And there is still hope for things to be different. Are you with me? What made Jesus mad was denied access to the Father. Uh, many of you know Pastor Lonnie just retired at Christmas time. He's a paraplegic, had an accident when he was 19, and uh, was not able to feel anything from the middle of his back down. And I got to admit, before I met Lonnie, I would be that guy, I don't think I ever said it out loud, but I'd be that guy to go into a, a parking lot or go into a mall and go, why are there so many handicap spots here? Really? And then I met Lonnie. When Lonnie first came, he had, he had hand controls in his, in his regular old car, and that's all he had. So, so he, would, he would go up to the passenger side, and he would throw himself into the passenger side of his car, and he would unhook the wheels and put them in the back, and then he would slide himself over, and he would drive away. And if somebody was parked too close, he couldn't get in. And then he, we got him a van, and finally he had a way to get the van out, but sometimes people would park there. And I started to I completely changed my reference. You know, I'm so glad now for the American Disabilities Act that forces places to make themselves accessible. As we were building our building at Orland Park, if you've never been to our Orland Park building, our sound booth is way up in the top. It's way up high and it's like a level up from the balcony. And we had to put a $10,000 elevator in to get up into the balcony. Up into the sound room, which I'm pretty sure has never, ever been used. There's no way we ever would have let you in there, Lonnie. I know you're watching this right now. There's no way we would have let Lonnie in there. Hey, you guys, I'm going to turn some knobs. He didn't know what he was doing. They don't even, I don't, my, my fob doesn't even work getting in there, okay? But we had to put the elevator in. I'm okay with that because we have to provide access for people, for everybody, no matter what their disability. <laughs> you get it, Right? We have to provide access to God, and Jesus died to provide it, no matter what their disability. Here's a scripture. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. I mean, this is just one of the woes that Jesus gave to them, but this is the one that's kind of been the thing that I've focused on. You shut the door to the kingdom. That's what we're doing. Think about it this way. Jesus came to provide access to the Father. When he was crucified, the, when he was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn. It was an enormously symbolic piece of the crucifixion scene that a lot of people miss. Because behind the veil was the Holy of Holies, where God was. 
that only the high priest could go in. Only once a year could the high priest go in and be in there. It was such a holy place that, that they tied a rope around his leg in case he went in and had a grabber while he was talking to God, they could pull him out because nobody else was allowed to go in there. Why was that set up that way? Because God wanted us to know that he wanted to be with us. He wanted us to know that he wanted to have a relationship with us, so he set it up so that his presence could be right in the middle of the people. But he also needed them to know how deep the divide was between our sinfulness and his holiness. And he wanted them to be ready for a savior. At the crucifixion, the veil was torn from top to bottom. God did it as a way of God saying, Jesus' mission is complete. And Jesus, while he was here, even though the veil was still there, he knew what his mission was, and he knew the price he was going to have to pay for direct access to God, and it made him angry whenever the religious people threw up a barrier. If you've heard me for a while, you've heard me t tell this story, but it's in the book. I've got to tell it again. Um, 1991, I got a call, one of those random calls uh, you think could be a prank phone call. Hey, uh, Styx is in reunion concert, the World Music Theater, and the, one of the band members, John Panazzo, wants to get married. He's been, he's been engaged to this girl for a while, and he wants to do it on, they want to do it on stage. Would you do it? I'm like, well, I really, really want to. I have to go talk to my elders and find out, you know, how we feel about that because it's not normally the way we do things. And we talked and we said, you know, it might be a good opportunity for the gospel. And I think it, it ended up being. I mean, it ended up with a, a good relationship with, with, the, with the family and it, it, it worked out, whatever. I did, I, one way or another, I got to go to the Sticks concert. <laughs> and I'm a huge Sticks fan, okay? So I got there and we got to be, you know, we got our backstage pass and I got to be backstage and hang out with a band and, you know, pray for, for John and his fiance and, and, and hang out and have some fun. And then we went out to the concert. During the concert, Mr. Roboto was my cue song. You can't forget that. And, and as soon as that started, you know, as soon as that started playing, I, I went back to the door, you know, right on the side. And I had my pass on, I had my suit on because I had to look pastoral. And, and, I, and I was the only one in a suit at the World Music Theater. And, and <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I walked up to the door and the big dude standing there was like, come on in. And I got to go backstage. I got, I got to go backstage and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm there for a couple more songs. And then, of course, the last song of the show is Come Sail Away. And um, they're doing Come Sail Away. And I'm just like, I'm, my mind is blown. I'm in heaven, you know. And, and then at the end of Come Sail Away, they do that fake out thing where they're like, okay, the concert's over. And everybody's like, no, it's not. You're going to come back out. But we'll all cheer. Turn the lights off, whatever. And, and so they did all that. And, and then instead of coming back out to a song, Dennis DeYoung walks out. And he goes, okay, you guys are going to have a wedding. The place is sold out. 14,000 people, I mean, it was crazy. And most of them were pretty wasted by that time, okay? I won't ask if you were there. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, people are like, what? And finally he gets them calmed down and he, and he introduces me and he introduces the wedding party and we play the, you know, wedding music and we come out and we do the wedding. And I'm going to tell you, like, when I get to heaven and we look at the 10 greatest moments of my life, this one will be one of them because as soon as I pronounced them husband and wife and, and then, you know, prayed for them very briefly, as soon as I said amen, 
Tommy Shaw over in the corner started singing. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Oh, I mean, it was one of my moments of all time. Oh. I don't, what was my point? Oh, yeah, this, yeah. Oh, goosebumps, man. Uh, I got the all-access pass. This is what Jesus came to give us. This was the goal. All-access. Walk around wherever you want. Go in the Holy of Holies. The veil is torn. So denied access made him mad. Well, let, me, let me tell you the logical place we should start. Because if you follow Jesus at all, if you, if you read anything about Jesus and I say, what made Jesus mad? You know, well, I know there's that one time where he went into the temple, Right? He opened up a can in the temple. He overturned the tables and he threw out the money changers. And how do we not start there? And I would agree. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Because the crowd was like, yay, Jesus, right? The outsiders are like, yay, thank you. This is out of character for Jesus. And one of the most astounding revelations for me, as I've been working on this project, it's been a 10-year project for me, trying to get it published and all that stuff. I really didn't know what to do with this temple thing. I mean, I wanted to write about Jesus being mad, but, but I didn't understand the temple thing because it seemed like it was about the money. And then I studied it a little bit more and realized this is the absolute perfect place to start. If you've been listening to me preach for a long time, you have never heard me unpack this, all right? I want to break this down for you, the three-part statement that Jesus made, right? It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, and it's for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So which one of those things is the issue? The problem for me, and the problem for most of you who've been Christians for a while, is that you thought Jesus was mad about selling stuff in church, right? The temple tantrum. Thank you, I made that up. The temple tantrum always seemed to be about the robber part of this deal. So when I was growing up, you couldn't have bake sales in the church building. You couldn't sell t-shirts for the youth group going to, you know, a missions trip. You couldn't do that because Jesus was mad about that in the temple. Ironically, those of you, most of you who grew up Catholic, you didn't have a problem with this, right? You had bingo. Some of you had Vegas nights for crying out loud, right? So, so this was not like, this was not that deal. But, but when I was growing up, church, we could not sell stuff in, in church, okay? Here's another revelation for you. I have recorded two albums, okay? I was in a music group, um, all these people here, I'm right down here, the cool glasses. I, in, in, in college, I was in a music group and we traveled all over the country, 47 states, representing this Christian college that I was a part of. And, and like summer tours, we took the bus out and we went and we shared Jesus with people and we helped promote the college. And it was really an awesome experience. Um, but one of the things we had to figure out whenever we would roll into a church is, first of all, how much power do they have? Because we had a, we had a 
full band and we had brass and we had, you know, multimedia. It was a really, really ahead of its time kind of idea. So we had to figure out the power. That was the first thing. And the second thing was, can we sell stuff? Can we sell our albums? Can we sell our cassettes? Thank you. I know some of you are thinking, Tim, did you ever appear on an 8-track? No, I didn't. So shut up. Okay. <laughs> We, we had to figure that stuff out. Why is that? Because a lot of churches will not allow you to sell anything in church, which is a really bad interpretation of the scripture. And I'll tell you why. For one thing, I mean, and we're selling stuff at our church this weekend. There you go, okay? For one thing, the church is not the temple, okay? We are the temple now. So, so it's completely different. Jesus came to abolish the need for the temple, Right? So this is just a building. If you want to wear shorts in here, if you want to bring your coffee in, God doesn't really care, and neither do I. Matter of fact, some people tell me, I don't really like your church, but I can bring my coffee in, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> I understand. This is not the temple, okay? I would say, if you're watching online, I think you should at least wear pants, okay? <laughs> do whatever. It's not the temple, and for another thing, the den of robbers part of this deal, uh, they were just providing a service, okay? And it, it was an acceptable practice. It had been going on for a long time. And sure, they paid more, okay? I mean, but it's like paying Uber Eats extra money so that they can bring your McDonald's to you because you're too lazy to go buy your artery-blocking food on your own, okay? Jesus did call them robbers, so there's something going on there. Probably a little bit like Dwight in the office episode where he decides to corner the market on Princess Unicorn at Christmas. I think that was part of the problem, okay? Uh, let's, take this, let's take all three parts, though. I want you to see the whole thing, all right? A house of prayer, den of robbers, house of prayer, all nations. Those are the three parts, all right? Now, let me explain to you what was going on, and maybe this will help you because it did me, and this was, this was a new revelation to me after studying the Bible all of my life. In, in the temple area, this is what it would have looked like, okay? This was the temple part. This is where the Holy of Holies was. Only the priest could be in there. Uh, you know, this is where they did the sacrifice out there. This is where the priests could be. Only the priests could be in the court of priests out here. This is where the men got to be, and this is where the women got to be, the court of Israel and the court of females uh, out on the outside. Yes, it was sexist. Yes, it was set up that way. Uh, just another thing that Jesus came to fix because now there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female, but this is the way that it was set up. However, if you were like probably you and me, unless you're Jewish, and you came to the temple, all you could do is go into this part over here, which was the court of Gentiles. This was the place of all nations. This is where they were selling junk and exchanging money in the outer court. This is the place where God had provided access to the rest of the world, and this is where the robbers had set up their shop. Does that change things? Jesus' anger was directed at the people on the inside who were denying access to the people on the outside, literally to the Gentiles who wanted to worship God. I don't think it's as much about selling stuff as much as it was about the commotion that was going on. Sure, it was a ripoff, but you didn't have to buy from them. 
So this wasn't really bothering the people on the inside. It was the outsiders, those who already felt furthest from the Father, who were suffering the most, who were being robbed not only of their hard-earned money, but of their very access to God. And it made Jesus angry because access to God is what he came to provide. This was something Jesus felt deeply passionate about. As a matter of fact, we know that even though, you know, it sounds like it just, he just went in and went off, he did not go into the temple and just go, what in the name of me? And start throwing stuff out of the way. He did not go incredible Hulk. We know this because the Bible tells us that Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday, Palm Sunday, and went to the temple courts. And he looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went to Bethany. So Sunday night, he's been to the temple. He knows what's going on. On Monday morning, he goes into the temple with a purpose. He goes into the temple to, to, to be Maximus. He goes into the temple to provide access for people and to make a statement that God wants you in. No matter whether you're a Jew or a man or a Jew woman or a Gentile or whoever you are, God wants you in. It was a thought-out, slow-burning conviction about access to God. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John, whose gospel is written later than the other ones, records that, the, that later on, as the disciples are thinking about this, that they realize that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Psalm that said, zeal for your house consumes me. Why was Jesus zealous for the house? Was it because they were selling stuff in the temple? He was zealous for our all-access pass to a beautiful relationship with a heavenly Father who loves us, a relationship for which we were created. And Jesus will throw tables or animals or people out of the way to get you access to the Father because he gave up his life to get us backstage. God wants us in. He's calling us in. And he's never going to stand by and let anyone or anything keep any of us out. And again, I apologize on behalf of the church if someone has done that to you or your friends. It is not and has never been Jesus' intent. As a matter of fact, Jesus would go in and create a scene in a holy place to make sure that everybody has access especially the ones who are the farthest away. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I don't care what somebody told you. That's not why he came. But that the world through him might be saved. He came to reunite the lost children with their father. So if father access is the purpose of Jesus, then it most logically follows that Jesus' anger, his most angry moments, were when we create barriers to that access. And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about the legalism. We're going to talk about the judgmentalism. We're going to talk about indifference to needs. We're going to unpack all of that over the next few weeks. And here's the, here's the problem. The problem for me is I realize that as I'm looking at the church leaders, I want to turn this back on me for a minute. This book is about us, okay? It's about part view. That, that, that's what it is. But, but I had to keep turning it back on me because here's the thing. 
I realized at some point that Jesus was mad at the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing. And if I'm doing any of those same attitudes, if the current church is doing any of those same attitudes, we're really guilty because we've got the example of Jesus to look at. And those guys didn't understand it yet. We're supposed to understand it now. What if Jesus was here today and saw how his church was helping or denying access to the Father. And one of the things I realized is that, and we'll unpack this, God's church has always been uncomfortable with Jesus. They were uncomfortable with Jesus back then, and many people are uncomfortable with Jesus today as they look at him, even though they call themselves believers when they look at it. And, and, and here, here's, what, here's why I say that. On week four, the, last, the fourth week of this, I'm going to talk about the adulterous woman. The woman that's thrown at Jesus' feet and, and, you know, they have their rocks and they're going to stone her. She's caught in the act of adultery, guilty, period. And Jesus said, well, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And they dropped their rocks and they walked away. If you read that passage in your Bible, you're going to see a footnote in your Bible that says many early manuscripts do not have this story. And I used to read that and I used to think, well, that's weird. I really love that story. I mean, I think it's one of my favorite stories about Jesus. I wonder what that's all about. And not until I started doing research for this book did I find out that Augustine, one of the early church fathers, recorded that he believed that the reason some of the early manuscripts of that story didn't exist was because they omitted it on purpose. Like by this time, the church was already becoming so self-righteous and sanctimonious that when they start reading about an adulterous woman who Jesus just says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, that they were uncomfortable with it, and they literally left the story out of the manuscript. God's church has always been uncomfortable with Jesus. Well, that's a little too far, Jesus. I mean, surely you didn't do that. Why were they uncomfortable? Because what the church wants to usually hear is go and sin no more, now neither do I condemn you. But what Jesus said was, neither do I condemn you, now go and leave your life of sin. And that order of things makes people really uncomfortable. But when we get the order wrong, we give love a bad name. And we might even make Jesus mad. Will you stand and pray with me? We're going to worship for a moment here. Father God, I just want to pray that you be with us. Uh, like, I have fear and trepidation in my heart as I pray because I know um, there are going to be people from the inside that are going to even more so think that we're crazy and think that I'm crazy and think that uh, we're too light on sin and... All that stupid stuff. I, I know it. I know it's going to happen. And I'm willing to fight for it. And we're willing to fight for access to you. We're not going to let our attitudes stand in the way. And we're going to help people, everybody we meet, know that, God, you just want your kids home. Be with us as we worship for a while now. Be with us as a church as we try to provide an example for the churches that are all around us as we bring people closer to you. That's the only reason we're here. That's the reason you died. And Jesus, thank you for my pass. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You can be seated. We're going to do communion. And just so you know, uh, you don't have to be a part of our church to take communion with us. If you're a believer, even if, 
Even if like something today just made sense and you're like, Jesus, I'm in. Take communion with us. It's a weekly reminder we do around here that helps us remember what grace is all about. And, and I guess as we get ready for communion, I really need you to understand, I think the reason the church sometimes struggles with giving love a bad name is because we don't really embrace the cross ourselves. We don't really believe in grace ourselves. If, 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 if I'm thinking, well, Jesus died for me, but God's still mad at me, then I'm going to be mad at other people. If, if I'm thinking, well, Jesus died for my sins, but I still need to do my part, then I'm going to think that same thing for everybody else. It was a common problem because Paul wrote a letter back to the Roman church several decades after Jesus, and he had to say to them, listen to me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, why would he have to write that? Because they keep forgetting, because we keep forgetting. Too many Christians try to practice Christianity without really fully embracing the cross and what it means. So no wonder we're judgmental. My question for you is what part of no condemnation don't you understand? It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It's not good. We want to help you. Sin is bad. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you now. Go leave in your life of sin. Your sin is screwing up your life. We want to help you. This is, this is not how God wanted it to be. But it doesn't matter which one of them you're struggling with. We all are. There's only one God and he is righteous and all the rest of us are not. And I don't care what some self-righteous person told you, your sin is not worse than somebody else's. Come and meet Jesus. The only one who had a right to condemn, but instead took your sin upon himself and died on the cross. So there's no fear, there's no condemnation. There is just access backstage to the Father. That's why from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Let's pray. Lord, just help us to embrace that. No matter whether we've been a believer for a long time or not, sometimes I still, I still approach this with trepidation. I, I'm not sure I should be backstage. I know I'm not worthy. Lord, help us to embrace grace. Help us to, help us to really fully understand how much you do love us. That's the only way sin goes away. That's the only way my life gets any better. That's the only way I get to be a better example of you is when I fully embrace what you did for me on the cross. And when I do that, I can go out to the rest of the world and tell them, but Jesus does really love you. Lord, if there are people here who need to open up their hearts during communion, just let them. Just let them say, Jesus, I, I want to give myself to you. I want you to come in and be my Lord and my Savior. No condemnation is waiting. Our past is waiting. Thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.